0: Good morning, everyone. It's an honor to be with you, an honor to serve here today, to open up God's Word. I would invite you, uh, if you have a Bible with you, to open up to Habakkuk 3, Bible drill. Anybody can find Habakkuk, but I'll give you an answer. If you got a few Bible, it should be on page 935. Now, it seems like an odd passage to pick when you're doing pulpit supply at a church, but few passages of Scripture this last year have comforted. Me and strengthened me more than the Book of Habakkuk. I uh, had the privilege of preaching through it at uh, Josh Moore's Church down in South Royalton, and uh, the last year has been a difficult year for my wife and I. And this passage has comforted us greatly, and I pray that it will do the same here this morning as we open up God's Word together. Habakkuk 3, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigionot. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Ta'on, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. Elah. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O oh Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains, you saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck, Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master, with stringed instruments. Father, we come before you now and ask that your Spirit would work through your Word. Lord, give us eyes this morning to see to see Jesus Christ here in this passage. Give us ears to hear what you would have us hear from this word. And give us hearts to receive and to act upon that word in faith. We give you praise and thanks and honor. In the name of Jesus Christ, may he be glorified. Amen. Have you ever doubted God? Perhaps you've questioned or complained to Him about the way things are in the world. Perhaps you've suffered a great loss, or maybe an onslaught of minor ones. The weight of the world feels like it's pressing down on you and has brought you to the very brink of yourself. And you begin to question God. You doubt His goodness. You doubt His power. Amid suffering and witness wick- wickedness, you ask, where are you, God? Well, the prophet Habakkuk can relate to us in that. The book of Habakkuk is all about complaining to God in the midst of suffering. Seeing wickedness and experiencing suffering and asking, how long, O Lord? You see, Habakkuk was written when Israel was occupied by the Assyrians. And Habakkuk was deeply troubled by Judah's spiritual and moral decline. He looked outside his home and he saw rampant wickedness amongst God's own people. And he asked, how long will you let this happen, Lord? Yet God's response troubled him even more. God tells him in Habakkuk 1 that he is raising up a nation, the Chaldeans. They will come and conquer Judah. They will be how God judges the wickedness in God's people. Well, obviously, as expected, Habakkuk doesn't like that answer, so he lodges yet another complaint to God, and questions him again, saying, how could a good and just God use a more wicked nation, like Babylon, to crush and punish a seemingly less wicked nation, like Judah? the end of Habakkuk 2, he awaits God's answer, and the Lord says, Don't you worry. I will judge the Babylonians. Judgment will come in the end. However, for now, Habakkuk, you must live by faith. And so, how did Habakkuk respond to the final response from God? Well, that brings us to chapter 3. He prays. A prayer, according to Shigeonah. An interesting word. This most likely would refer to the tune that it would be sung in. Like saying, to the tune of Amazing Grace. So in response to all that God had said about the coming Chaldean conquerors and the judgment that awaited Judah, Habakkuk responds not just with prayer, but a song of prayer. How many of us would respond to our own suffering by song? I've titled my sermon this morning, Singing in the Pain, because Habakkuk's song of response is in the midst of painful circumstances. And so we ask, what is the prayer about? Well, it's a song about God's past deeds to bring about present faith, in verses 1 through 15, and then a future hope for present fears in verses 16 through 19. If you look at your outline, I kind of have it broken up a little bit differently. That's because I changed my mind after I sent it to Aaron. But we have the heart of Habakkuk's prayer in the first two verses, and then we see a vision of God's power in 3 through 15, concluding with hope for Habakkuk's pain and patience in 16 through 19. So I pray that we'll see all that this morning as we unpack God's Word in Habakkuk here. He begins his prayer with this, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. The first question I have is, what is this report that Habakkuk is referring to? It's most likely referring to God's great acts of salvation in the past in Israel. Habakkuk had heard the report of God's great deeds of deliverance, and he is calling them to mind so that he might fear God for them. I just imagine a young Habakkuk running around during the temple services, hearing the stories of Yahweh delivering his people, the songs they would sing about God's salvation in years past, And this is what God's people did. They sang to remind themselves of what God had done for them. I mean, just consider the great song of Moses, which I think has a lot to do with what Habakkuk says here in Habakkuk 3. Moses writes in Exodus 15, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and His rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Hearing this report, reminding himself of songs like this, Habakkuk says that he fears the Lord. And he asks God to revive these works and reveal them again in His day. Such an odd phrase, but essentially what he's saying is, Lord, You did it once. Do it again. You've delivered your people before. Deliver them again, just like the stories and the songs we've sung. This is the very heart of Habakkuk's prayer. But I don't think that's the only work that Habakkuk is talking about when he says he's talk- he hears the report. Back in chapter 1, God says, I'm a doing a work in your days, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Habakkuk is also recognizing that God is working to bring about judgment. Habakkuk hears the report and fears the Lord. He asks God to revive his works again and reveal them so that he may be glorified. But nonetheless, he knows that wrath is still coming for God's people. He knows that the Lord has already promised judgment through the Babylonians. Habakkuk knows that wrath is coming, but he also knows that his God is merciful. And so he pleads, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Just like Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Judah was not innocent, though. They had brought this judgment on themselves. They were morally corrupt, violent, disobedient. They deserved the Babylonian captivity that awaited them. They deserved God's wrath. But so do we. We too are disobedient, violent. And so we can, re- we can recognize the need for Habakkuk's prayer. In wrath, remember mercy. That's the foundation of what he's praying all throughout the remaining verses. Do it again, Lord. In wrath, please, remember mercy. So in the next section of the prayer, verses 3 through 15, Habakkuk gives us a glorious vision of God's power. He's heralding God's power in glory, in salvation through judgment. We'll unpack that as we go here. Earlier in chapter 2, God had told Habakkuk that he has a vision for him to write down. That that vision would come at its appointed time. And as we see here, that vision is God himself. First, he begins by poetically describing God as marching through the land. He uses the path that the Israelites had taken through the Exodus from Egypt... Haman was in the south by Edom, and Paran was in the wilderness of Sinai. So the image is portraying God moving north in from the direction of Mount Sinai, moving in power and wrath and fury. And on the way, the wilderness people of Cushan and Midian are terrified at the sight they behold in verse 7. And you can't blame them. When you look at the passage, notice the vivid imagery that Habakkuk Habakkuk uses to describe God's terrible power. In verse 4, Habakkuk says that God wields blinding lightning like a weapon, brighter than light itself, evocative of the storm at Mount Sinai. What's interesting with this passage is it's actually mocking the Babylonian god, Marduk, who is considered the sun god. Habakkuk is describing the one true god, Yahweh, just like the Babylonians described Marnuk in their creation myth. However, for all of Marduk's radiant splendor, Habakkuk says that, oh, this is just God's veiled power. Veiled power, to wield lightning and that to be nothing for him. Just imagine the worst lightning thunderstorm you could possibly imagine that Marduk could whip up is nothing more than rubbing a balloon on a cat's belly and touching a doorknob to God. It's nothing in comparison to the power that God has. But for Habakkuk, that's only the beginning. He measures the earth, and his mere gaze shakes the very foundations of the the nations to their bedrock. Habakkuk says that plagues and pestilence are God's entourage as he marches through the land. Just imagine that. Every footfall of God's march of wrath, preceded by pestilence and followed by a plague, This is an image that's not too hard for us to wrap our heads around. I mean, back in 2020, a plague nearly brought the whole world to its knees. So just think about it. All of our modern medical innovations, and look at the damage wrought by COVID-19. And that's not even the worst of it. The Spanish flu in 1918, 50 million people dead. The Black Death. Over 100 million people dead. Every step God takes, another plague more terrible than the last. Just like the plagues in Egypt. Incomprehensible power. But it doesn't end there. Habakkuk keeps going. In verse 6, he says that God is able to flatten hills and mountains with ease. Mount Washington, a parking lot. Mount Everest, a lot easier to climb now. Mount Fuji, sayonara. It's no wonder that the people of the land looked on in terror. His power surpasses every military superpower that we could even fathom today. So those living in tents and Cush and Midian would just tremble at the picture of the God of Israel. But he moves on, just picturing God's glory now, and addresses God directly in 8 through 15. Now he heralds God's salvation through judgment. Notice the Exodus language all throughout this passage. He says that God's wrath and anger were against the rivers and the sea. Just how how God turned the Nile to blood. How he parted the Red Sea... And the Jordan River. You can almost feel the irony then, if you have that picture in your mind, when it says, you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation. Well, God had cast Pharaoh's chariot into the sea. God rode his chariot to save his people. This is how God works. Salvation through judgment. And in verse 11, Habakkuk even recalls God's work in Joshua 10. He says, Is this not written? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. The picture here is that nothing in the entire cosmos Is outside of God's all-powerful reach. He can stir up the seas, flatten hills, split mountains, carve rivers, and even cause the whole solar system to cease their courses above. This is true power that we cannot even comprehend. But the beautiful thing is, it is power with a purpose. It's not God, as the old hymn used to say, just putting on the writs. Notice what Habakkuk says in verse 12. It says that God marched with fury and anger. However, why was He marching like that? In verse 13 it says, "...you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed." You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. His power for a purpose. He went to save his anointed. It was for his beloved people that he would crush the head of the house of the wicked. And notice, it was a humiliating defeat for them. Not only does he crush their head, He lays them bare from thigh to neck. That's a picture of just complete and total subjugation. It even says that He beats them with their own weapons, their own arrows He uses against them. But did you catch the language there in verse 13? You crushed the head of the house of the wicked. What does that sound like to you? Exactly. sounds just like Genesis 3.15, where God promises to Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman would one day crush the head of the serpent. All throughout the Old Testament, we see God and His anointed crushing and piercing the heads of their enemies. This is the pattern that God has ordained from the beginning. And Habakkuk knew this. He heard the stories and sung the songs. Habakkuk is looking back at what God has done and seeing the pattern set forth from the beginning. God delivers His people from their enemies. And he's looking forward to the day when God would deliver His people from the Babylonians. He knows one day the Messiah would come and deliver His people. Habakkuk's vision would come at its appointed time. God Himself, He would come in the fullness of time in the person of Jesus Christ. And just like Habakkuk, we can look at Christ's deliverance as a total victory, both past and future. The past deliverance where He purchased for us through His death on the cross... When I read verse 14, how God humiliates His enemies by defeating them with their own weapons, I just can't help but think of Colossians 2, where Paul writes, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its illegal demands. But how did He do that? This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul is telling us that Christ has disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and put them to open shame through Christ's death on the cross. He crushed death with death. He humiliated Satan with Satan's only weapon, because of Christ's past deeds, we can now live with faith in the present. But again, it doesn't end there. We also have a future hope to look forward to. Again, in light of that head-crushing in verse 13, consider Paul's promise in Romans 16. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. One day... Christ will return. And when He does, He will finally and fully vindicate His bride. The great dragon, that serpent, will be thrown down, and the deceiver of the whole world will be crushed under our feet. Because of our future hope in Christ, we can face our fears here in the present. But the question is, how are we supposed to live in light of that? What do we do with these hopes and these promises? Well, we see how, as we close here with Habakkuk's pain and patience in verses 16 through 19. Starting here with verse 16, Habakkuk says, I hear. Remember, what is it that Habakkuk heard? Everything from the first two chapters Judgment's coming, first for Jerusalem and then one day to Babylon. Judgment from the all-powerful God he was just singing about. And how does he respond? And my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. The future filled him with fear and dread a palpable fear that you can feel have you ever felt this way yourself if you have it's almost impossible to put to words I'd say what Habakkuk wrote here is as close as you can get but some of you may know what it feels like I know that I do in May of last year Christina had a ruptured ectopic pregnancy And some of you may know what that is, or maybe you've experienced it yourself, and the phrase alone just causes your heart to sink. Christina called me while at an elders meeting, and she was in tremendous pain. So I rushed rushed home, and I brought her over to DHMC, to the emergency room. I still remember the feeling when I saw the blood on the ultrasound. My heart sank to the floor, and my legs nearly gave out. My head was filled with a cacophony of questions. Am I going to lose my wife? Is Ezra going to lose his mommy? What are we going to do? Why, God, I don't understand. And this is how Habakkuk felt. He considered the coming judgment, the uncertainty of what awaited them, and he's terrified. Fear and uncertainty filled him so much that it brought him emotional distress to the point of physical weakness. Let me just pause to say, Christina is okay. She is here with me today. God brought us through that by His goodness. But notice Habakkuk's response to that. This is incredible. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. I will quietly wait. The word here for quietly wait is beautiful. It's the same word in Hebrew for rest. It's kind of an It's It's like the sound of a deep sigh, like a sigh of relief. Amid this overwhelming fear and dread, in the face of dire circumstances Habakkuk says I can rest and wait. Habakkuk is doing just what the Lord told him earlier to do when he says the righteous will live by faith. He is trusting in the promises of God. And this is the whole purpose of Habakkuk's book is to encourage the righteous. God's people, to live faithfully in times of turmoil. To trust in God, even when uncertainty arises. He just finished praying about how powerful God is, so he knows that God can and will save His people. So he will quietly wait on God's deliverance to come. But what does that look like? What does it look like when the Babylonians finally do arrive, and things become difficult? When he loses everything? Well, he continues with 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Listen to this. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This is one of those passages that can be hard for us to appreciate as 21st century Christians in the West. We read about the fig tree not blossoming, fruit not growing, and olive tree not producing, and it kind of sounds like a lack of luxury to us. But we need to keep in mind that this is a completely agrarian society. This is a picture of complete and total economic collapse, national crisis, destitution all across the nation. Now, some days we might feel like the US is just on the tipping point. But things are still pretty good right now for the most, certainly better than what Habakkuk here is envisioning. Sure, beef is astronomically expensive, but we still have it. Christina can still go to Stearns in White River and buy her produce. But the reality is that might not always be the case. But this doesn't mean that we don't understand what Habakkuk's talking about here. We have all felt our need for God in these times. Perhaps you've lost a job. You don't know where the next meal will come from. Perhaps you've lost a loved one, and the days just feel like they're too much to keep going on. Maybe you haven't lost anything. You simply feel like you have too much going on. Bills are piling up, but your income is stagnant. You've received a recent medical diagnosis that really has derailed your plans for the future. We can go for days with examples. But whatever you came here today, the response is still the same for Habakkuk. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. But you might be wondering, how can he say that? He's lost everything. How can he say it with such confidence? He's not being trite, he's filled with fear and dread. This is genuine faith. But look at what he says next. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on my high places. God, the Lord, is my strength. That same God he just envisioned in verses 3 through 15, he is Habakkuk's strength the God who brought forth pestilence, the God who measures the earth, the one who flattens mountains, splits the earth, stirs the seas, who caused the sun and the moon to stand still, the one who crushes his enemies and saves his people. He was Habakkuk's strength. But perhaps this morning you don't know Christ. This God is not your God then the reverse is true. The God that stands on our behalf, who fights for Habakkuk, stands against us. The joy and comfort that Habakkuk draws from this vision of God should be one of fear for those who are not in Christ. That wasn't in my manuscript, but... I implore you, if you do not know Christ, to turn to Him today... Find comfort and strength in the Lord who is our salvation. Habakkuk knows that the Lord is his only source of strength. And so he can say confidently that the Lord will make his feet like the deer's. What an interesting phrase. Have you ever seen a video of a deer running on a cliff? Let me tell you, it is a sight to behold. Deer can trot and sprint along steep cliff faces like it's nothing. The most perilous terrain on the planet is like a well-paved hiking trail for them, just like going down the rail trail. Habakkuk is finishing here by telling us that whatever our high places are, whatever fearful and uncertain circumstances we face, we can tread upon it like a deer gracefully and with ease. Finances, family, infertility, famine, fires, he has delivered us from far more fearsome foes than these. And he has delivered us from sin and death. So how do we keep running? I don't know about you all, but I find most days it is difficult enough to walk by faith let alone run like a deer. Well, in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, he writes that the vision that was given to him, this vision of God, was given so that all who read it could run. So in those moments when you feel like you can't run anymore, your strength is all but drained from you, look to God's Word Remind yourselves of what Christ has done for you. Cling to what Christ is doing for you now and look forward to what Christ will do for you when he returns. I can't promise you that troubles in this life will pass because Jesus promised that they wouldn't. He said, in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The tribulation didn't end for Habakkuk, but he waited and he rejoiced. And so, brothers and sisters this morning, do not lose heart. God the Lord is your strength. Strive to live lives of faithfulness in the face of fear and uncertainty. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own strength and understanding. That is the whole point of the book of Habakkuk. Live by faith, even in the face of fear and uncertainty. But notice that final line to the choir master with stringed instruments. Habakkuk didn't sing alone. This is a song for all God's peoples to sing. You and me together. When we sing, we remind ourselves of God's great works of redemption and look forward to his promise of future deliverance. We've already done so this morning. And this is why we sing these amazing songs every week. I mean, just looking at the last song that we get to sing today. We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will say together, we will feast and weep no more. So even now, when we are emptied, the fig tree doesn't blossom. There's no fruit on the vine, no food in the fields. Famine fills us. We can say, we will feast. For Christ has given us the bread of life. What a joy, then, that we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. A tangible reminder of God's past deeds for us. A tangible reminder of the future hope we have until He comes again. Every time we sing, every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remind ourselves of God's provision for us we remind ourselves that though we may suffer famine on earth, one day we will feast and join Him in glory. And we remind ourselves that He is our strength. He makes our feet like the deer's. And He makes us to tread on our high places. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. For in it we find life. Through your Spirit, we find our strength. We ask that you would continue working as we worship together in spirit and truth, that we would find strength and hope as we reflect on what you've done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, what you are doing now in us through your Spirit, and what you will do again when you return again to deliver your Bride. We ask in all these things that your Son would be honored and glorified. Amen.